Welcome to The World in 10, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the serious, the strange and the silly from the Times of London. And that's just me, Toby Gillis. <laughs> He's not lying either, <laughs> actually. I'm Eleanor Shearwood and today The Serious is a dispatch from Ukraine where one writer has been behind enemy lines with Ukrainian soldiers. The strange is the routine of people working from home and the silly, that's the price of having your sandwich cut in half in Italy. You can tell just from the music on this video from Ukraine's defence ministry just how intense the lives of these soldiers are. But the reason you can't hear the soldiers themselves is because they're part of an elite Ukrainian military unit, the Shaman Battalion. What a name. I know. (laughs) They're carrying out operations behind military lines. They've been doing raids on infrastructure for over a year and have even been thanked by President Zelensky. Shaman, Sebakhmut. And now the Times has been told what their new task is, assassinating senior Russian officers. This is an amazing story. They go on missions targeting specific people or buildings that might house them. And how they conduct these operations makes for some quite gruesome reading. Uh, It's Maxim Tucker that's been writing about it for the Times. And he was shown a video of them ambushing a Russian lorry driver from the side of the road, photographing him, in, in Maxim's words, limp and bloodied before stealing a map and then disappearing. He's been hearing about all this from a 30-year-old sergeant who goes by intelligent. So actually, who better than Maxim himself to tell us what these men are really like? None of these men grew up wanting to be soldiers. Some of them were lawyers, some of them wanted to start their own gym. But some of them have already been fighting for nine years since Russia's hybrid invasion of, of the Donbass. The soldiers in this special unit are smart, they are articulate, and they are able to formulate exactly why they are fighting the Russians. First and foremost, it's about defending their friends and family from murder, from rape, from looting. But also very important to them was this idea of brotherhood, that they were fighting for each other, that they would defend each other, that they would help each other, they would rescue each other when needed, rescue the wounded, make sure no one is left behind. Important to remember, though, that while this unit is getting bigger and more ambitious, things don't always go their way. There's one quote from Intelligent which really stood out to me. I don't remember how many funerals I went to this year. No one is Iron Man, you know? It's just regular guys. So what are they hoping to achieve? What makes all of this worth it? We've put that to Maxim too. Their strategy is to disrupt Russian commander communications by taking out senior officers, to break morale in the Russian armed forces, especially at the the senior ranks, to demonstrate that Russia is not capable of safeguarding its own borders, and to encourage the Russian military to reallocate resources into defending this northern area of the border. Their actions can explain attacks over the border in Russia, but Ukraine officially sticks to a policy of neither confirming nor denying them. Some people really don't like the police, but there's not liking police and then there's... Northern Ireland not liking the police. And if you work in the force there, the last thing you might want is for every bit of professional information they have on you to be leaked. 
Yet last night, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, um, we should start with a bit of background, I guess, because by no means does everyone, of course, in the country dislike the police (laughs) to such an extent that they might attack them. No, no, no. It's a a minority, of course, dissident Republicans. Some of them have joined a group called the new IRA, who are the major threat. They're still pursuing a unified island by violent means to such an extent that Northern Ireland's the only part of the UK whose terror threats currently set at severe... That means an attack's highly likely. That was raised to that level after the shooting of a serving officer in February. These dissidents see members of the police as legitimate targets. So when the names, ranks and work locations of every single one of the force's employees was accidentally published online for two hours yesterday, well, it didn't go down well. We operate in an environment at the moment where there's a severe threat to our colleagues from Northern Ireland-related terrorism, and this is the last thing that anybody in the organisation wants to be hearing. The information was taken down very quickly, but nevertheless, I do appreciate the concern that it will cause. That's Assistant Chief Constable Chris Todd apologising there, but it hasn't satisfied many. And here's why, from Professor Deidre Heenan, former Pro-Vice-Chancellor of Ulster University, who's been speaking to Times Radio. Many people who are serving police officers in Northern Ireland hide what they do from their neighbours because they believe that that is the best way to deal with it. There's still a security risk. The worry would be that this has been downloaded and passed around to people with nefarious objectives and that people would use this in a way to forward their objectives. So terrorists, dissidents, would get a hold of this information and use it. I think that would be the largest worry here. So the chair of the Police Federation of Northern Ireland has reacted. He says he's been inundated with officers, not surprisingly, outlining what he calls their shock, their dismay, the basic anger, frankly, at the league, with fears that many may leave in fear of their safety. 302 police officers were murdered during the 30 years of the Troubles. The concern is that the targets put on their backs by a small minority of Republicans are now in plain of view. Yeah, directly, thanks to this leak. Well, exactly, that at any point since the Good Friday Agreement, which brought peace to the region, was signed 25 years ago. There's a row among elite athletes right now. How much sport is too much? Never enough sport. <laughs> <laughs> the Times is discussing it today after the boss of the Footballers' Union in England warned the sport is sleepwalking into a disaster. Yeah, burnout's the issue. Mm. It's a really interesting question because it depends on the sport. Successful tennis players, they can play daily for weeks on end. Exhausting. Footballers, it's kind of a couple of matches a week. Boxers, of course, maybe two or three times a year. Yeah, and we're discussing it now because of new efforts to reduce time-wasting in English football which could mean 90 minute matches might go beyond the 100 minute mark yeah players well they're they're saying that too much is already asked of them Uh, and the professional footballers association head well he's backed them with that dramatic prediction you heard at the start yeah and i bet you've got an opinion as a premier league commentator (laughs) as well yeah I, i do i mean basically the average time of these matches that the ball's in play it's like 56 that was supposedly 90 it's not really enough but really what the actual aim of this new idea is is that they stop doing the time-wasting and then we go back to 90-minute matches. Yeah, so that's Toby's view. You can read the facts about it with a digital subscription to The Times now. Just Google The Times to get started. There is
is no way we'd slack off when producing the world in ten, of course. <laughs> no, not no, at no, all. No, no, not at all. Not least because we're under the beady eye of Times <laughs> bosses. But apparently, for home workers, it's become the custom. Yeah, some of the activities that people have admitted to in this research reported today are kind of as you'd expect, really. Watching TV is number one, for example. But you can work with the telly on in the background, so maybe that's okay. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe not though. If you go for a nap, <laughs> one in five admitted to doing. No, and that's not it for bedroom activity either. One in eight say they've had sex on work time. Definitely couldn't do that in the office. I thought work was supposed to be productive, not reproductive. (laughs) (laughs) Arguably, though, what's even more unbelievable, those who admit they've been working a second job whilst working their first. That is extraordinary. But it's not new either, according to Bruce Daisley, the author of The Joy of Work. I remember reading The Working Practices of Charles Dickens. and Dickens used to do a very intense five hours in the morning, but then go off for a 10-mile walk. Now, I suspect today's version of Dickens probably wouldn't win many friends in the office. But Charles Dickens wrote 12 novels, a few hundred short stories. He was incredibly productive. I never thought I'd hear myself ask this question, but, dear listener, how much would you be prepared to pay to have your sandwich cut in half? (laughs) Yeah, it's become genuinely a reasonable question in Italy because one cafe by Lake Como charged a customer who wanted to share his with his girlfriend two euros. Awful, but also quite serious because Italians are genuinely now refusing to holiday in their own country because there's rising prices everywhere. Yeah, but apparently the domestic tourism loss is being rescued, at least to an extent, by Americans who are flocking there because of the strong dollar. It's been led this summer by the likes of Jeff Bezos and Robert De Niro, who are among those to have been. Well, they can probably afford to have their sandwiches cut into quarters, let's be honest. (laughs) Yeah, one thing we can guarantee our listeners, of course, is they'll always be able to afford the world in ten, because it's going to remain free every day, forever. And ever. Including tomorrow, when we'll be back with another edition. We will. See you then. Listener.